really believe that uh, over the next uh, 22 weeks, we are going to glean great truths uh, from this uh, lesson, from this letter that Peter has sent. And we've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years looking at Peter's life, uh, of course, through the Gospel of Mark, uh, which Peter is a main character. We also did a series not too long ago called Empty. This changes everything. And two of the four messages that were talked about keyed in on Peter. And so uh, as an elder team and as a preaching team, we, we thought it'd be good to hear a little bit more from this uh, great apostle, from this great man, which we can glean a great deal. I'm going to ask that you stand as we embark on this journey together. And uh, today we're going to be doing an introduction. And introductions are not the easiest sermons to preach because you run one of two extremes. Number one, you don't say anything at all about the book or the writer uh, because you want to keep it for the weeks to come. Or number two, I spend uh, this week giving you everything I was going to give in the next 22 weeks and then we can close our time in prayer. So I want to balance that out as much as possible, just kind of setting the table so that we will be able to enjoy week after week what God would have for us in this uh, great letter. I want to start by looking at what was called the salutation this morning. And I would encourage you, even though we don't have time to do this this morning, uh, and I went back and forth, there's nothing greater than reading the entire letter in one, uh, in one reading. And I would encourage you to do that. It's five chapters long, and uh, it, it would be a wonderful time. I think it's like 145 verses. Uh, someone can count during the sermon and get back to me. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, but uh, it, it would be great for you and great for me uh, to sit down and, and to read it from start to finish, to see it as it was written and to read it as it was written. Uh, but today we're going to start with these first three verses, the salutation, and we're going to set uh, the stage for what is to come. Let's notice what uh, is said. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace, peace be yours in abundance. I want you, before we go to prayer, to turn around to your neighbor and say, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace and peace. So you said a lot more because it shouldn't have taken you that long. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we do need your grace and peace and abundance this morning. Father, we recognize as we read these words from uh, a man that your son walked with and, and discipled personally, Lord, uh, a man who had all kinds of issues and struggles, Lord, like so many of us, like all of us, Lord, and yet you changed him. You made him uh, to be uh, like your son. And in doing so, Lord, we see the fruit of that ministry in the writing of this letter. Father, we do need grace. And we need that mercy and that love that comes only from Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would shower it upon us in abundance. We need it, Lord, because we are strangers in a strange land. We are a people who walk in this world, who work in this world, who live in this world, and we recognize that this world does not know you. We recognize that this world does not live according to your ways. 
We recognize, Lord, that uh, this world does not worship you or glorify you as God. And so, Lord, there is a great divide that is in our lives, Lord, because we know what your word has said. We know what you've called us to. And yet, Lord, we walk and we talk and we work with people, Lord, who see the world in such a different way. How ought we live, Lord? Thank you for First Peter that tells us exactly how. How can we live in a world of sin and debauchery, a world of trials and temptation and even tribulation, Lord? How can we do so and seek holiness every step of the way? Lord, thank you for First Peter because it tells us Lord, I thank you for what you're going to teach us. I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to hear what you have to say. Lord, I pray that we would be ready. We would be ready to obey you because of the work that you've done and the salvation you've given. So, Lord, be with us. Strengthen us through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. I want to look at... Uh, this uh, introduction under the heading, You've Got Mail. And as a young man, I used to ask my parents, usually uh, in the car, uh, I would ask them, and my brothers would do the same thing, what was it like not to have, and then we would say something. How did you live without a VCR? I mean, how could you live? I, how could you live without color television? I mean, that just seems so crazy. And as I get older, it wasn't too long ago that my nine-year-old son said, Hey, Dad, what was it like to not have cell phones? You feel, start feeling old when people start asking you those questions. How could you live without a cell phone? How did you go on with your day without having one of the basic essentials needed for life? I mean, everybody, Dad, has to have a cell phone. And by the way, I'd really like one for Christmas. And so as we grow older, of course, because of the advent of so much technology, uh, we know that uh, we've lived without these things. But the amazing thing is, is, is as a teenager, one of the uh, biggest inventions of, of my generation was the advent of the Internet. I remember as a teenager, of course, the advent of the computer and then even more, especially the personal computer, that is. And uh, I remember people starting to talk about that you could talk via your computer and that this internet connected computer to computer, and I didn't know how it all worked, but I remember my parents, my senior year, had gotten a new computer, and we hooked up to the superhighway, if you remember. And we started to have conversations uh, with people, and of course, chat rooms were real big then. You could have all these conversations with people all over the world. It was amazing. And I remember the first time we got mail. And how excited we were. We've got mail. And it's not just everyday mail. You don't even have to go to the mailbox for this mail. All you got to do is go to your computer and, and that voice came on the computer, you've got mail. And you're, you're all giddy. This is awesome. This is so wonderful. I've never seen anything like this before. But now, years later, I look to my Google uh, mailbox and I have over 25,000 of those emails. Can I tell you, when emails come, I usually don't get all that giddy about them. And that's what happens because familiarity breeds contempt. When something becomes rote to us, when it becomes just something that is all too, we're all too acquainted with, 
And we begin to start pushing back and just saying, there's nothing all that big about it. What was big to me back in my senior year is no longer big to me now. I saw that a couple weeks ago when one of our Sunday school teachers sent one of my boys a card. And I didn't think much of it, but I said, Joshua, you got a card from your Sunday school teacher. And the boy bolted to the kitchen. Give it to me. Don't open it. I want to open it. It's my mail. It's for me. Do you see my name is on it? And he was excited because he was the recipient of a letter. Now, you and I, we don't do that. Just like with email, it's every day we go out to the mailbox, and usually it's just bills and a bunch of junk mail, and so we rarely are all that excited. And here's the thing. Just like with mail, just like with the letters and email messages we get, because of our familiarity with them, they don't change who we are. They don't uh, create a sense of great desire to read them. Can I tell you, a letter was written to us. It's called God's Word. And as we open up 1 Peter, we can have the idea, like my son or my senior year, as I opened up that email, what is it? What is it going to be all about? Who is it from? I want to examine it. I've never been a part of something like this before, and I look forward to what is going to come. Or we can say, we've been there. We've done that. Every Sunday we open up that same book. Every Sunday we hear that book being taught. So what's it going to do? Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we should be so excited that God wrote a love letter to us. Part of this love letter was written by the hands, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of Peter. And we're going to open this book up. And we're going to examine this book, but I will tell you, if your familiarity with the Bible and your accessibility to the Bible thwarts your ability because you've been there and done that, then you'll receive nothing over these next 22 weeks. And so what I would say is, take a look at this letter with a new set of eyes, with an open heart, saying, Lord, maybe I've studied this book before. What would you have for me to learn today? What is there that you would have to speak to me right where I'm at this morning? So here's this letter. And I want you to think about those, those exiled Christians. They were in Bithynia and Cappadocia and, and Asia. What, what that is, as you saw in the video, it's Asia Minor. It's modern-day Turkey. These are real Christians in a real place being written around 63 to 65 A.D. with all kinds of persecution taking place a letter comes to this house church in these areas. And it's not just from anybody, but as the people say, who is it from? They hear the words, it is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter's name must have just struck in a great amount of excitement. Peter was a man who walked with Jesus. Most of the readers who would read this letter had never seen Jesus before. Many of the people that worshiped Jesus in these churches had never heard Jesus' voice or touched him in any way. And so here is a letter from a man who not only saw Jesus and heard Jesus speak, but this was a man who walked and talked with Jesus for three and a half years. This was a man who saw Jesus do the miracles this was a man who saw Jesus stand before the Pharisees and time and time again speak truth to a group of men who were obstinate. 
This man was a man who saw Jesus be arrested. He saw Jesus be put on a cross. And he saw Jesus three days later rise from the grave. You better believe these people were excited. You better believe these people were totally and utterly amazed at every word that came from this. It would be good for us to follow in their pattern, to be excited, to be engaged. We have not only the words of an eyewitness of the account of Jesus Christ, but brothers and sisters, again, by the work of the Holy Spirit, not only is 1 Peter Peter writing to us, but it's God sharing his words with us this morning. And so as we look at this, we need to look with a new set of eyes. Now, what are we to gain from this letter this morning? What are we to do? I want to chart a roadmap for us. And there are three things, and I want you to write these down even before we get to each of the points. There are three things that this book we need to remember as we come through every week that we need to understand about this book. Number one, we need to understand, and just write this somewhere, the personality of Peter. When we talk about the dual authorship of Scripture, which is a tenet that every uh, Bible-believing evangelical must believe in, is the idea that Peter wrote this with his own hands and with his own thoughts. But superintended in that process was God who was using Peter with his own thoughts and own experiences and his personality to write the very words of God. Okay? And within that, we see the personality of Peter come out over and over and over again. We'll talk a little bit more about this this morning. To understand 1 Peter, we must understand the writer, Peter. We've got to get him down, and if we don't understand him, we'll have difficulty understanding the book. The second thing I want you to notice in this book that we'll see over and over again is the preeminence of Christ. What Peter will do is over and over again, raise Jesus high. He will lift Jesus above all other things. And if we don't see that, and we don't recognize that, then I'll tell you what, we're going to have a world that has no hope. Because this world is troublesome. This world is difficult. The trials and tribulations we face at times are more than we can bear until we cast our eyes on Jesus. Until we see Jesus, and we see him high, and we see him lifted up. And Peter over and over will say, I know this world is hard, but Jesus, I know you're suffering trials of many kinds, but Jesus, I know that there's difficulties. I know it seems like nothing is ever going to happen, that God's promises seemingly are failing. But let me tell you about Jesus. So we have the personality of Peter. We have the preeminence of Jesus. And one thing we cannot forget is the persecution of by Nero. One of the things that I love about 1 Peter is it comes right out of our history books. Peter is in Rome. Peter is writing to a group of people just outside uh, of uh, the area of Rome in Turkey, not very far. Of course, we think that those things are far away, but in the national uh, geographic of things, if you will, those areas aren't far at all. In fact, Rome had an empire that all of these areas were under. And we will know, as we know from history, that it's not too, uh, it's right during the time. We're not exactly sure of the exact times and dates, but around the same time, Nero, who was a crazy Roman empire, a crazy emperor, not empire, crazy emperor, 
would burn down Rome. Why he does it, we're not sure. There's a lot of speculation, both of secular and Christian historians, as to why he does it. And his whole empire is at risk. People are sitting there saying, Nero's this crazy man. Why is he leading us? Why would he do such a thing? And he finds a scapegoat. And what he says is, Christians are the ones who start the fire. And as a result of that, Christians become the most wanted of the Roman Empire. So if you forget that, then you forget what is the context of what's going on. So when Peter says, suffer well, he says, suffer well because people are going to persecute you. You're going to see where he'll say, honor the emperor. My goodness, we have difficulty honoring our presidents and our senators sometimes. And he says, of Nero, honor him. Pray for him. The one who burned down and have killed people. The one who blamed it on us, even though we didn't do it. The one who now drives us into the Colosseum and sends us to our deaths. With the lions and the fierce animals, you need to honor him. We need to recognize in this letter the personality of Peter, the preeminence of Jesus, and the persecution that was going on. And if we remember those things, then we will see the amazing letter that is before us. Now before us this morning, I want to look under three headings. You say, well, a lot of threes here. We're going to do a lot of that this morning. We're going to be all over the place. I don't want to camp in one place too long because I don't want to take away what we're going to talk about in the days to come. But the first thing we must do if we want to understand First Peter, we got to understand the leader. The leader. The letter begins with the writer. We usually just put our name at the end of the letter. But the way that they did it in the first century is right off the bat, I want you to know who I am. We do this now, of course, with our postal address. And so people know ahead of time who the letter is coming from, who has sent us the information we're about to read. And we see that right off the bat, we know this to be Peter. Peter, of course, is the apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why he writes this is there was probably a lot of Peters back in that day. A lot of men who called themselves Peter. And so Peter says, I'm not just any ordinary Peter. I'm just not a, a Peter who, who lives in this area during this time. But I am Peter, the same Peter that walked with Jesus. But what do we need to know about this Peter? I want to look under two headings. I want to look at Peter the man. And then I want to look at Peter and his life as an apostle of Jesus Christ this morning. And so I want you to notice, first of all, as Peter, we see two things that are very important that we recognize to understand who he is. Number one, he was driven by his fervor. I had had another word in there, but I thought that that word was far too, and I'll just tell you, I said he was driven by his flaws. And I didn't like that. As I began to think through that, uh, one of the things I know is that uh, Peter is probably watching down on us right now. And the last thing I'd want to do is badmouth the guy and he'd be like, Badal, what are you doing? You know, it'd be nice, it'd be real convenient for me to preach a sermon about you. I could totally do that. That would be a great sermon. Man, we could really bring out your issues. And so I said, you know what? No, he wasn't driven. We're all driven by our flaws. But more importantly, as I thought about it, what made Peter, Peter, was he was driven by his fervor. The idea of fervor, fervor is being passionate, being intense. The idea here is that Peter was a man who was intense. 
He was a man who was passionate about all things. You know, there are two kinds of people in this world. And if you want to see him, go to your local swimming pool. Think about it for a moment. The first person comes up, Exhibit A, and they walk out, and here's the pool, and they also gently and also methodically uh, just kind of dip and, and just, not too fast, dip their toe into the water. And that's not good enough because once they kind of test things, then little by little, inch by inch, okay, that's okay. Okay, I'm still alive. Okay. And they get into the pool. That's not Peter. That's some of you, and God bless you, we need in this world some of you. What Peter is, is Peter's the guy who backs up as far as he can, runs as fast as he can, balls up and yells, cannonball! And some of you are like that. I'm glad I'm not. But Peter is that cannonball kind of guy. He's the guy that drives everybody else crazy because here's the thing, us cannonball types of people look for these type of people and we jump right next to them. And then we have the audacity to say, we love you. Isn't it good to be in the pool? Peter is a guy who is all in. And this is seen not only in his life as a fisherman, no doubt this would have been seen in his family life. Peter was a married man. We know this not because we're given Peter's wife's name, but because we know that one of Jesus' first miracles is the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. If you want to know the compassion of Jesus, Jesus is a Savior who heals mother-in-laws. God bless him. I know, that joke didn't work. I'll get in trouble for that. But Peter sees this. And he no doubt was, again, a all-in kind of guy with family and as a fisherman, but also as a follower of Jesus Christ. And we'll see that over and over and over again. Now, before I move on from that, I, I want to take a moment. Bible teaching isn't just teaching the Bible, but it is looking at the characters of Scripture and gleaning truths from it. And I want to glean a truth from this this morning one of the things that Peter needed to do and that we need to do is something that you don't see in the Bible but I think is so important to the Christian faith. It is so important to our life as Christians, to our service as Christians, and that is Peter needed to know who he was and what he was all about. And I think far too few, far too few or too many of us don't know that. Far too few of us do know that, okay? And that is who are we? What is our personality? Now, we need to know these things because we need to know how God made us. And one of the things that I think that we will see in the uh, progress of Peter is that Peter recognizes who he was, and then he put it under the authority of Jesus Christ. You see, here's the thing. God uses the, the quiet ones who go in step by step into the pool. God needs you. God wants to use you. God has created you for a purpose. He wasn't like, you know what, we can't make everybody the great cannonball people because they're awesome. And so we'll make you, you know what, Adam, you're going to be one of those methodical, slow ones, quiet, more introverted. God made you for a purpose. And I want you to learn what that purpose and plan is for your life. Don't just say, well, God's ministry and, and the work of the gospel will only happen through cannonball type of people, through the Peters of this world. 
No, brothers and sisters, God uses even the quiet ones. He uses the ones who are more methodical, who think way before they speak, God bless you. And yet there are some, and I I struggled with this because I was a Peter type of guy. I got in trouble. Every time I thought I was on the right track as a kid, I would find myself failing. And I really struggled with that. My self-image as a young man was incredibly low. And it wasn't because, because I didn't like the way I looked or anything. It wasn't cosmetic like that. What it was is I couldn't get a break. Every time I thought I was making some progress, just like Peter, I would fail. And I'd sit there and say, God, why did you make me this way? God, why is it that every time I come into a room, I can tell that people are sitting there going, wow, what's this guy going to do now? We, we, you know, let's just take a step back because we don't know what Tim's going to say. We don't know what Tim's going to do. And I felt like many times I was a, a ticking time bomb watching people just waiting, when is he going to explode? And I carried that over and over again. And as a young man, I'd say, God, why, why do I have to talk before I think? Why is it that I have to be the center of the universe? Why? Why? This is terrible. Well, how could you have made me this way? And what I want you to know is, what God has taught me in the years after that was that God made me exactly that way for a purpose. Now, here's the thing. That's not an excuse just to allow your, both your strengths and weaknesses to shine. What I had to learn, and I had to learn really quickly, was that just because God had made me a certain way doesn't give me an excuse to just live outside of his authority. But whoever you are, whether you're a Peter or maybe one of the other disciples who was far quieter that we don't hear anything about, maybe you're a Thaddeus, you don't hear anything about Thaddeus, okay? That God's made you that way. And what you need to recognize is what are the strengths and weaknesses to the personality you have? And ask God, what needs to be fixed? And what areas need to be accentuated? And when you do that, God's going to use you in marvelous ways. Now let's move on. We see within the life of Peter, we recognize his personality. We see it. He's a guy that is full of fervor. But notice we see that he showed great potential, but in the end, he was faithless. He showed great potential. There are three things in Peter's life, three scenes in Peter's life that we see over and over again, that we hear taught on over and over again. Peter, by far, is the most taught-about disciple. And it's because mostly because we see more of Peter in the Bible than any of the other disciples. And there are three episodes in Peter's life that we see that Peter starts out good and fails miserably. Turn in your Bibles for a moment to Matthew 14. Matthew 14. I, wanna, I don't want to teach sermons on these things, and so we'll go through them quickly, but you can note these and look to these later. But Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately, the scripture says, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to pray by himself. When, uh, let's see here, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was also already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against them. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. He's walking on the water. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, there's our guy. Then let me or tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus responds, come. And Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Now let's stop there for a moment. Think about this. Here you've got a bunch of fishermen. They're out in the boat. The waves are crashing. It's dark. It's at night, of course. And they see this figure walking on the water. They're afraid it's a ghost, but not Peter. Peter sees that it's the Lord. He's excited. And he says, not only is it Jesus, but I want to be with Jesus. He's an all-in kind of guy. And so, Jesus, I want to walk out there with you. I want to do what you're doing. That is commendable. Here is a disciple who wants to do what Jesus is doing. Let me do that. Just tell me and I'll walk out on the water. And he does. Oh, Peter, you're a pretty cool guy. Until we read the rest of the story. Notice what it says. It goes on in the text. As Peter gets out, He walks and he comes towards Jesus, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter starts out great and then finds himself, because of a lack of faith, failing. Now let's go to another passage. Just turn a couple pages over to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 23. We see this theme again. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some of you say John the, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? He's talking to the disciples. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, there's our guy. He answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter is told, you know, I wonder if Jesus, I know he didn't do this, but I could just see Jesus having fun with Peter. Ding, 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 ding. You got it. What do we got for him, Bob? You got the right answer. You nailed it. I am the Christ. I am the son of the living God. And Peter must have been like, yeah. I know I failed in walking on the water, and I've been getting ribbed by the rest of the guys with that, but now I've done it. Just a few short chapters later, Jesus asked the question. It was an important question, and I nailed it. All right, Peter, well done, but here's the problem. We haven't read the rest of the story. After Jesus says, and you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Notice verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Here's Peter. Peter can't stick with his victory. No, Peter takes Jesus aside, and he begins to rebuke Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Hey, Jesus, I know you're the creator of all good things. You're the creator of heaven and earth. You're worshiped day and night by angels, but let me tell you, you got this thing wrong. 
And it says in, in other parts of the scriptures that he was rebuking Jesus harshly. Come on, Jesus. you got to be kidding me. You're not going to the cross. Uh-uh. No way. Peter starts out well and fails in the end. Because notice what Jesus says. Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, I wonder if Peter, the lump in Peter's throat, oopsie, I took it a little too far, I'm sure. He says, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Starts out well, fails in the end. One final one, turn to Mark, one, one gospel over. Mark 14, 26 through 31. I gotta move here. Time is, is moving too quickly for me this morning. Mark 14, 26 through 31. He says this when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the night that Jesus was going to be arrested. And Jesus says, You will all fall away. Jesus told him, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Here's Peter, our guy. Even if all fall away, I will not. Jesus responds very quickly. I tell you the truth. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you'll disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically. Here's Peter again. Hey, you don't know me, Jesus. I know myself. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then I love it. Even all the other disciples did the same thing. Yeah, Jesus, we, whatever he said, we say. Okay? And what happens? Is Jesus right? How many believe that? I'm sorry, how many believe Peter's right? Let me see a show of hands. How many say Jesus is right? Peter starts out well and fails. Now I bring all this up and, and we have to be careful because it is easy for us on a Sunday morning in our Sunday best to say, what a loser you are, Peter. But can I tell you something? You could totally change those names, Peter, and put Tim in there. Starts out well but in the end, fails. You see, we come into this place and we start out the week well, don't we? What a great time of worship. My heart has been, has been moved and, and I've been changed and, and wow, this week is gonna be totally different than it was last week. I'm not gonna look at the things that I did last week. I'm not gonna say the things that I did last week because I'm a new person. I'm a new man or woman and we leave this place and brothers and sisters, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for the preacher and so I'm going to assume it doesn't take long for you that we're back into the same garbage that we were the week beforehand. We start out well, but in the end we are found faithless. I don't do this to knock down Peter. I do this to show you that Peter is just like one of us. He's like every one of us. I want you to notice something happens. Something changes and I want you to see that we see that Peter not only is a man, but we see he's an apostle. Write these two things down. As we see 50 days after the resurrection, something changes in Peter. Now, Peter has denied Jesus, and Jesus on the Sea of Tiberias has restored him and has told him to be a, a shepherd to his flock. And we see that Jesus doesn't, or we see that Peter doesn't find himself showing potential anymore. He starts living it out. And one of the reasons why is he becomes focused on his calling and his Savior. Something rattles Peter to the point that Peter no longer is this guy who just goes back and forth from belief and doubt, but now is rock solid on his following of Jesus Christ. 
And what is it? What is it? What a great evidence of the power of the resurrection in Peter's life. Peter was changed. Peter was not just a man who walked with a rabbi, but he was a man now who was changed because he had seen the power of God in the resurrection. And can I tell you something? For some of you right now, you feel like you're a Peter. And I will tell you, I felt like a Peter. And I still do at times, but when I gave my life to Jesus, and I don't mean in a salvation way, but when I said, Lord, you need, to, you need to live and work and do your will through me, and I'm going to become uh, the one who allows you to empower me to do that, then my life was changed. And Peter's life was changed. And your life can be changed. He got focused. I want you to notice for a moment, just listen to these words uh, in 1 Peter. Notice what his focus became. He says, therefore... Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Do you think Peter understands what it means to be self-controlled? Set your hope fully on the grace that is given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he called you as holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. He got focused. And he headed in the right direction. And notice, Peter would prove his love. He would prove his love through faithfulness. Now, he had gone from being faithless to being faithful. I want you to notice this morning that one of the ways that Peter proved it was seen in John 21, 15 through 19. Jesus is talking with Peter on the Sea of Tiberias, and he says, do you love me? And he would ask Peter three times. And Peter says, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, okay, that's great that you say it with your words. Now do something about it. And three times Jesus comes back and says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And I want you to notice something. One of the ways that we live out our lives as Christians isn't just telling Jesus we love him. It is living differently. And so 1 Peter is, if you will, Peter's magnum opus of saying this is how you live in such a way to show Jesus you love him. Because I know what it was like to look Jesus in the eye and tell him three times, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And three times Peter, uh, Peter is told by Jesus, then do something about it. Show me that love. And some of us with our mouths are able to clearly say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I love Jesus. But our lives aren't being an example of that. And here Peter doesn't come up short. He hits it. And notice his faithfulness isn't just seen while Jesus is on earth. His faithfulness isn't just seen as he's a young man. But even to the point that tradition tells us that Peter would be hung on a cross as a martyr for the faith upside down that he would go to his grave as a faithful follower of Christ. And can I tell you something? If Peter can do it, then we can do it. One of the problems I have with our friends in the Catholic Church is they've elevated Peter to something he's not. And so when we look at Peter, we say, well, we could never do that. Let me tell you something. Peter's just like you and me. And we can do it. And it's not we can do it because we're like Peter. We can do it because we have a Savior named Jesus. So, long first point, 
It's okay. We've got to get to know this guy. Let's look at the letter this morning. The letter. Let's look at the letter. In our second point, we see that we need to explore what does he write. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. In fact, go to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to jump right to it. What is the purpose for the letter? This guy, now we know he's an important guy. He's a guy that we could totally listen to. <clears throat> There's so much we can glean from his life and his ministry with Jesus. So why does he write us? In 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll be studying this you know, in the spring. Here's what we're told. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother in verse 12, 1 Peter 5, verse 12, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. There's the purpose statement. Usually your thesis statement goes at the beginning. Peter puts it at the end. Here's the reason why I wrote this letter to you. And it's threefold. Write these down. Number one, the reason for Peter writing is to encourage the believer. It is to encourage the believer. Peter uses the Greek word parakaleo. Parakaleo. The idea here is to call someone alongside to give them strength and aid. The idea is to encourage someone in an earnest way. So Peter says, I've written you, I wanted to write you, so that I may help you, I may be of some aid to you, to encourage you, to give you strength, to give you the courage that is needed to go throughout the day. This word was used in a medical way, talking about those who would comfort those who were hurting. And so what Peter is saying is, the reason why I write this letter Village Bible Church, the reason why this letter was written was so that when Tim gets up and preaches this, he would encourage you with my words. Peter, Peter's speaking, of course. And this is what he's trying to encourage. He gathered these people together and the letter is written. And what Peter's heart is, is I know life is hard. I mean, my goodness, didn't Pastor Keith just get up here and tell us that some of our own are fighting for their lives? Life is not easy. We've got all kinds of financial issues. We've got all kinds of political unheaval, upheaval. We've got all kinds of wars and rumors of wars going on. Life isn't easy. And Peter says, I get it. I know it. And I want to encourage you this morning. One of the goals that I have every week is that you would walk out of this place encouraged. Now, there are times probably I fail you miserably in that. But that's my goal. Because we have a Savior. And we have a God who loves us. And what Peter does is what Paul does in Romans chapter 8. And what we learned last week with all of the dancing and jiggling going on. That we're more than conquerors. That no matter what man does to us, no matter what this world throws our way, we can be encouraged because one of the themes of 1 Peter is hope. You have been born into a living hope. And so who cares what happens on election day? We've got hope. Who cares if America stands for another 150 years or 300 years? Let's say it blows up tomorrow. We have hope. We have hope when the medical doctor comes and says, you've only got a couple days. We have hope when our kids are running amok. We have hope when there's no money in the bank account. We have hope. 
And so when we open up 1 Peter, Peter reminds us, be encouraged, God's people, because we have Christ Jesus as our Lord. We have hope. The second thing he wants to do is he wants to explain. He wants to explain. He says, I, I want to testify that this is the true grace. The word testify there is a legal term that means to bear witness. But not simply as just an eyewitness, but one who with the help of supporting evidence makes something more certain. And so what Peter is saying is, I'm not just telling you have hope. Don't just get together in a circle and sing kumbaya and say, well, I hope something happens. Peter says, I have hope. And the reason why I can have hope and you can have hope is that when it was at its darkest, when it seemed that all hope was gone, Jesus hung on a cross. And we ran for our lives thinking the world was done. And all that we knew, our lives as we know it, were over. But on that third and glorious day, Jesus rose from the grave. And I'm an eyewitness to it. I have seen it. I have touched him. And because of that, brothers, we don't have an empty hope. But we have a true and real hope that is found in the grace of Jesus Christ. And I'm a witness. And let me share with you, and he will share with us over and over again. Here's the evidence that proves that our hope is real. We've got an inheritance. It is stored in heaven. And so what are these light and momentary trials? I've been there, guys. Those light and momentary trials are nothing compared to what God is going to do in our lives. And so then he exhorts them. He exhorts them. Here's the gist of Peter's message. I know that what you're going through is tough. I know that life isn't easy. I know some of you want to give in. But let me tell you, when things look tough for us, they're very easy for God. And so what is our job? Our job is to stand firm. That word stand firm is one Greek word. It's the Greek word histomai. It means to hold your ground. Literally, in the original Greek, it would have read this way. In it, stand firm. What in it means is in your life, where you're at, stand firm. This phrase is one of the most um, explosive phrases that Peter will utter in his whole letter. Because what Peter is saying is, and just for those who are, are English individuals, this word is shared in, in uh, aorist tense, active, it's an active word. It is a word, he's fired up about this. He says, I know things are difficult. I know there's persecution. I know that every time there's a knock at your door, you're fearing that this is the end. But be encouraged, Christ is with us. And that same Jesus that was with me, that walked with me and talked to me, is with you. Now your job is to stand firm. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you that in that one verse is a sermon? That's a sermon. We want to encourage the believer. We want to explain how we can be encouraged. And then the job is, is that we as a listener listens and hears that word spoke and we do what it says. So you've heard be encouraged. You've heard what the word of God says, why we should be encouraged. Now your job, your assignment, if you choose to accept it, is to stand firm this week in the truth of God's word. This is what he's going to do. Over and over again, you're going to see him encourage, explain, exhort. 
And we're going to study that together. The final thing I want you to see is the lifestyle. The lifestyle. Peter wasn't just writing to share some nice words. This is not a Hallmark card. His hope and prayer was that the life of those who called themselves Christians would be different. Now, why should it be different? Number one, it should be different. Write these down this morning. Because of our situation. In this text, he's going to tell us a couple different times that we, the the listeners, are aliens and strangers. Now, that was true physically. They were from Asia and Cappadocia and Bithynia. They were from all these different places. They had been dispersed because they could no longer live where they wanted to. Think about that for a moment. The Badals are told you can't live in Hinckley anymore. That you're told you can't live in Sugar Grove anymore. Because if we find you, we know you're Christians, and we're going to come after you. And so we leave our homes, and we go to another place. And that place is foreign to us. That place doesn't speak the same language. That place doesn't have the same culture. And what Peter says is wherever you are, you're to live like Christ, even though you may be the only person that does it. Brothers and sisters, can we apply that to our own lives? Can we not say in the Prairie View subdivision of Hinckley that I probably am in the minority of how I live? That I'm different? That even though the culture around me is a culture that's pursuing life and and, and purpose along my friends' and neighbors' definitions and the plans and purposes of God, can I recognize that I'm an alien and stranger? And what Paul will, or sorry, what Peter will say over and over again is that you've got to live differently. Notice for a second in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Notice verse 11. This is what Peter says. Dear friends, Village Bible Church, he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires. Well, where are those desires coming from? One of the places is the world. Our neighbors are doing it. Our friends are doing it. The TV shows are telling us to do it. And what Peter is saying is, is you don't live that way. This is not your world, so don't live that way. And he says, abstain from these things. And he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What he's saying is, it's not your world. You can't live like everybody else is, but live in such a way that even though you don't live like them, they can say, you know those Badals, that village Bible church? They're good people. They're weird. I mean, I, I, I watch my neighbors. God bless them. Great. They're wonderful people. But I watch my neighbors... And I I have to imagine they think we're a part of a cult because no one leaves for church at 8 o'clock in the morning and don't get home until 1, 1 1.30 in the afternoon. And i got to be like, what in the world? What are these guys doing? You know, Tim's, those cars need to be washed. Less time at church, Tim, more time washing the cars. And I'll tell you, your neighbors, if you're living the life of Christ, are asking the same thing. You're different. And our job isn't to try to prove to them that we're the same. Our job is to prove to them we are different. But different is good. And different is a blessing to them. 
Because I want my neighbors to be able to say, he's weird. I mean, he spends all day at church, and then they go to that night church. I don't even know what they're doing there. I mean, what's that all about? But you know what? Tim and Amanda care for us. They're there when we need them. I don't have to worry when, they go, when my kids go to their house what the kids may find. I don't have to wonder if, if Tim is, is going to use bad language in front of my kids. I don't have to wonder if Tim's going to cheat me. I still don't know what he's doing with his life, but he's trustworthy. This is what Peter's trying to get across, and it is totally applicable for us. The second thing is, because this is not our world, you better believe suffering is going to come. And so Peter is over and over again going to talk about suffering. He's going to address this issue of suffering in chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised by the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when the glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or as a thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it's time for the judgment to begin with the family of God, and it begins with us. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And he goes on and he articulates it. We need to understand that as Christians, this is what God promises. We're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. And that's why the garbage of the prosperity gospel that will be healthy and wealthy is from the pit of hell. Because the Bible says over and over again, as Christians, we are going to suffer. And so my job of not only encouraging in those times of suffering and explaining why that suffering is taking place is to encourage you to suffer well. Because you're going to. So suffer well. Peter's going to address this over and over again. And one final thing is that it involves our salvation. Notice he starts with this, and I'm going to let Peter's words just resonate, and this is what we're going to close with. Peter says the following. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 of chapter 1. In his great mercy, he has given you, he's given me, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What a great place for a amen. He's brought us into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. How do we know that we can make it through trials? Because we are shielded by God's power. Hour until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this village you greatly rejoice, though for now a little while you'll have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And even though you do not see him, now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a letter. What a letter. God has not only saved us, but he's given us a hope for tomorrow. And as we go through this letter, we will see over and over again that our God is utterly faithful to see us to the end. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and as we've examined this incredible letter, we see that there is much to glean from it. Father, I pray that we as a people would see the example of Peter, that it would bring hope to some of us who just like Peter and just like me, Lord, have failed miserably. Lord, give that individual hope. Give them the encouragement that you're not done with them, that you're just beginning the process of making your child like Jesus. Lord, I pray that this letter will be a letter that uh, encourages. Oh, Lord, we need encouragement this morning. Lord, this world seems to be falling apart at, at all ends. So we need that encouragement, Lord, but we need to understand why we can be encouraged. And Lord, I pray that as a result of what we read and, and what we learn in this letter, that we will stand firm in it. And Lord, I pray that as a result of our time in this letter, that our lifestyle will change. Lord, we are aliens and strangers. There's no doubt about it. And some of us, Lord, have a great disdain for that truth because we want to be like the world. Lord, uh, allow us to abandon that way of ignorance, to abandon the foolishness of that, that the way we are to live, the life we are to live out is a life that is following you, not the ways of this world. And so, Lord, change us and remind us that when we live that way, there will be suffering but Lord, in our darkest times of trials and tribulations, remind us that we have an inheritance in heaven and that you're keeping it for us. And that if we have proved ourselves faithful, Lord, with one day we will be able to stand before you and receive that inheritance which is far greater than anything in this world. Lord, commend upon us the teaching and reading of 1 Peter so that we will be changed. We give you the glory for it. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you all. Go in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. You are dismissed.